Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword, I'm Dave Tish. The Afterword's where we talk about what we didn't get to talk about in the weekend's message, and this is the final week of our Joy series. I've loved this series. I've loved this series for a number of reasons. First of all, I found in my own life over the past year, year and a half or so, during 2020 and the pandemic, my joy levels dipped significantly. And so I'm starting to feel them come back. I'm starting to, to pay attention to that. And I know that's true for a lot of folks out there. But one of the things that's unfortunate is as my joy levels dipped, one other darker aspect kind of grew, and that was my cynicism. Maybe you're like me. After looking at news story after news story after news story this past year, my cynicism seemed to peak, and uh, it started turning me hopeless and angry, and it just wasn't a good thing. And as a good friend once reminded me, cynicism is not a fruit of the spirit. It's not a thing that God wants to grow in our hearts and minds. And this week, Mark Averill, one of our worship pastors here at Westgate Church, is stopping by to talk about cynicism and how joy is an antidote and it provides our bodies and our lives, the antibodies against cynicism, because we live in an age that's incredibly cynical. So let's dive in and look at joy. Welcome to the afterword. Oh man, Mark Avril sitting with Dave Tish. Oh man, this is so exciting. Come on, uh, this is just a, a uh, morning uh, of joy. Yes, well, <laughs> so this past weekend was our final week in the Joy series. Yeah. So, what I've been doing with people as they come on the afterword is I've been asking them, like, what's actually been bringing you joy in these last days? So, what are some things? that have been bringing you joy just in general, yeah. uh, just in your own life? Because I always think this is fun. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, um, inner, being able to be around people in a in a casual way. You know, we just got together as a staff this last weekend. Oh, man. This last week. And and just to we play. We played kickball. We played kickball. We did. And yes, and volleyball. The volleyball and through football, the football. Ate and food. Ate food together. All those shade. things. It was, just man. being able to. I'm, you know, I tend to get my energy from being alone. Um, I'm more introverted oh. in that way, but I'm an outgoing introvert. So like when I'm around people, I get this great burst of energy and it just, I, I walked away from our time as a staff and just was so full of joy. Cause it, I, you know, it, it brings me back to real connection with yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know it's not, it, it, it's surface level in a way, but it's also, it's so casual. We're playing games together and next thing you know, we're laughing at each other. Totally. It just, it brings out so The much. connections. Yeah. It is. Yeah. If you feel more connected to people. Totally. You know, we, I only saw them on zoom, you know, for the most yeah. part. And so to be able to, have those kind of just reach over to somebody and say, Hey, how you doing? I, I just, uh, My wife just had an offsite with her work uh, for three days and she is, she would stay, they went out to dinner. She's, she's gone for like, you know, 13, 14 hours and she's just jazzed, just energized because it's just the sense of being together, you know, this, so that's, that's, and as things open up, I, I, again, I hope to beat you guys in kickball, um, <laughs> multiple times. No, I'm kidding. Uh, actually the, the, the takeaway from the kickball was Kayvon Tarani's foot because that guy must've kicked that kickball 500 yards. It was, didn't think it was possible. It was astonishing. <laughs> it went up into the satellite hemisphere <laughs> and returned back to earth. It oh was, my it was goodness. crazy. So yes. Kayvon, if you're listening, um, I think we have a pro sponsorship for um, <laughs> for for pro kickball. Um, okay, this past week you delved into a thief of joy. 
Last week we talked about comparison as a thief. Comparison yep. really does rob us. Um, suffering was on week two. That's yep. a huge obstacle. It's inevitable. But this week, um, you talked about something that is all too, unfortunately, all too prevalent in our society, which is cynicism. So before we get into this, I, I'd like to dig into the word cynicism. And as you were studying, and I was, because we're we're going to look a little bit at philosophy here. Philosophy is the yeah. handmaiden of theology here. So we're going to look a little bit at philosophy, but also try to look at this scripturally. So what did you find out about cynicism as you were digging, and how is it related, or just how would you define it for folks? Yeah, I, I think as I kind of brought together all the different resources, and, and as I admitted on Sunday, I, I'm a student of John Tyson. He did a great, a lot of great thinking around this idea oh, yeah. of cynicism and joy. And so I've really kind of gleaned a lot from, from his thinking. So he's helped kind of shape that for me. But I think as I dug into it, um, cynicism was more... It has to be differentiated between skepticism uh-huh. and pessimism. Cynicism is more of a mistrust in the motives and the things behind the, uh, what people are, are trying to do. You know? Oh, so, so let's, let's, let's pull these apart. What's skepticism? Skepticism is just like... How would you define skepticism? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have as great a handle on on that one. I, I think, well, I think of pessimism as the overarching umbrella and cynicism as a form of pessimism. Oh. It's, it's a subset of it. Oh, it's a, it's a, a deeper neg- and darker. Yeah, I mean, cynicism would be more around um, about people and your mistrust of them. So, you know, I think, you know, part of the, the language is uh, as seeing friends and foes, really a binary look at people. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're either this or that. Um, but mistrusting their motives and the reasons behind things, um, it's around people. I think uh, pessimism is general. You know, Andy and I, as we both taught these week, this, this weekend, we talked about it. And there's some, there's some moments where people are pessimistic about the future. They're pessimistic about, you know, just circumstances. So skepticism, or skepticism is is probably maybe not even necessarily a bad thing. I think there's... So skepticism there's, says, hey, listen, I need a little bit more information. I'm not going to take that at face value. Right. I need a little bit more info. Um, and that feels... Biblical, because well, we're called sure, sure. To, to, to look at something in a discerning way. I mean, sure. that's why Proverbs is written, you know, because we need to, to evaluate things and be, you know, wise, wise and, and thoughtful. thoughtful in what we do. So it's not If we're not skeptical, bad. that's how we get QAnon, Mark. That's how we get QAnon. <laughs> uh, so, so, there's that. so skeptical is not necessarily a bad thing. It's about discerning. Think, yeah. And some people, I would say, are a little bit more skeptical than others. Right. Like, I'm actually not a very skeptical person, but I know there's people, even on their staff, who are like, yeah, well, where's the money for that going to come from? Sure. Or And they're asking questions. So skepticism is kind of like level one. Pessimism, it seems like, it's how you things are going to turn out bad. It's yeah. an Eeyore. You know what I mean by right. Eeyore? It's like the things aren't going to go well, wah, man. Wah, wah, yeah. Wah, wah. yeah. Uh, and that's kind of a pervasive mood. But you're saying that cynicism is actually a subset and a darker one, which says not only are things not going to turn out good or turn out well, but like people are... Bad. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily would say it's it's darker. It just is more centered around a mistrust in others, a mistrust in people, and mm-hmm. you, we see it everywhere in our culture. That's the, oh, the danger. That's the of worst it. part. You yeah. know, we see it. You know, in our um, health professionals, our medical experts. There's a lot of cynicism around them and what their motives are, and whether we can trust them, yeah. whether they're reliable. You know, political figures. I, and I would even say people are cynical about marriage. You know, thinking, you know, looking at that and going, you know, I hear people say, you know, I want to know if they're in this for the right reasons. And so 
obviously we have to be wise in our relationships, but also mm. that cynicism can really, mm. can really, um, well, the, the use, the word that Tyson uses is erode our antibodies of hope. It gets us, it, um, you know, one of the things I shared uh, was about the prodigal uh, son or prodigal God and, and that story about how the older brother really gets us to see the deterioration of the spiritual life of a cynic, that they no longer see that they live in a house of goodness. He, the, fa- the father yeah. says, everything I have is yours, older son, older yeah. brother, yeah. failed to see that. Yeah. And it really eroded his spiritual life so much in the so that he resented somebody else's celebration. One, so one of the things, the though, yeah, that's, that's utterly fascinating. I was thinking about this, and I, was, I want to throw this by you because I was, I was reading this article about marketing. And um, it said that we live in a uh, in the United States right now. We live in a society that is dominated by consuming and marketing. And they say one of the primary and best marketers is to make the person who you're selling your product to a hero, mm-hmm. and what they're going through a heroic struggle, and somebody else a villain. Mm-hmm. And we that hero villain dichotomy. You said binary dichotomy. It says I'm good. And those people over there are bad. And we see this in political. We see this in religious center circles. Sometimes people are like, we're, the right, we're, we're right. You're wrong. Right. We're good. You're, so it's this, um, this real binary way of looking. Polarizing. Pol- yeah. super, well, yeah. super polarizing. Yeah. Um, uh, we read a book as a staff called A Bad Religion, How America Became a Nation of Heretics. Right. And Ross Thought, who wrote that book, uh, he's a New York Times columnist. He said... That the tendency in the political sphere is messianism or Hitlerism. What's that mean? Uh, you make somebody a messiah or you make them a oh, Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah. one or the other. You know, it's like our guy's the messiah, he's going to bring, and, and your guy is Hitler, you know, or the devil, you know. Yeah. And that tent, you see that on, you, you've seen that on Twitter, you've seen right. that on social media, you see that um, even on Facebook, and, and you see that in the way that people are presented, the talking points, people talk past each other. Um, how do we get out of that biblically? Because that is not true. There are not some good people, and then there's some people who are wholly evil and some people who are wholly good. We are, unfortunately, as humans, mixtures of both. So how do, how do we get out of that bad thinking? Yeah, it's an easy mechanism to just draw those lines. And totally. Say, either but, this or that. And, and I'm, I'm projecting think. outward like it's other people, by the way. So it's something I do, too. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not saying that this isn't, this is something only those people do. It's something that everybody, it, you can see this across the spectrum, blue or red, you know, Christian or not Christian, they draw the line. You know, you're a bad guy and I'm a good guy. Yeah. So so how do we get out of that, do you think? Yeah, well, the, some of the things I suggested um, even in, in this last weekend was the idea of, um, you know, celebration really is the, uh, the key way or one of the key ways, I'm sure, to, to silence those cynical voices that and inside of us and the ones that we face. You know, they, they become intentional, subversive acts of defiance against that overwhelming sense that you want to you want to see people in that way. You want to mistrust them in that way. Hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, some of the things that we suggest is is finding ways of, of bringing celebration in the rhythm of celebration. One of the things I think I learned so much was um, in doing the study of this was seeing the grand arcing narrative of Scripture and how much celebration was there when creation was being formed, yeah. you know, that insight from Job where he says the morning stars were singing as creation's coming, as a yeah. celebration yeah. as God is speaking goodness into the world and pronouncing that. And then you see that going, you know, tracing through his people as he sets up rhythms of celebration. And then Jesus coming and basically saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to inaugurate 
the year of Jubilee. But it's the word for the year of Jubilee isn't a one year, 365 day period of time. It's an indefinite season. It's just a prolonged, it's just an indefinite season of celebration. Right. Right. So I think Jesus kind of inaugurates this, um, this idea that this should be the, the landscape of our lives is this ongoing celebration. Yeah. So then it's just trying to find ways um, to kick against what our culture yeah. uh, pushes on us, which is that you know polarized thinking of, of cynical voices. And so um, I think celebration helps us it's one of the tools that helps us um, mm. usher in joy uh, to increase uh, the joy centers of our life. Yeah. You know? Well, it's interesting because even as you're talking, I'm thinking about that. Like, just imagine just you're supposed to focus on what Christ has done. And one of the big things that he's done, of course, is taken your sin, has removed it, forgiven it. And then the promise of the spirit to make you into a different sort of human. Mm. What does that imply? That implies that the line of good and evil runs right through me to quote the famous uh, author, Alexander Solzhenstein, who said, you know, the line of good and evil goes through every man. If I have an honest assessment of myself in the light of who I am, I can't continue this false narrative. Mm. This, this, this blind, this blinding, of my own self that I'm good, wholly good, or at least mostly good, and other people are bad. I have to get to the nitty gritty of the reality that I'm that I have that I have sin, you know, that I'm that I'm that I'm I'm broken. So in some ways it breaks arrogance, you know, that that recognition. Think about the, the Old Testament festivals. There was always some sort of sense of um, there was there was often, especially on the high holy days, where you brought your sin offering, confession, you know, confession. Yeah. So, so the first thing is for for that, that that impulse that I'm good, that really is a humbling thing that yeah. you have to bring your own sin offering because you have sin in you. So that's the first thing. But then the other side of that is seeing people as wholly bad, mm-hmm. you know, which is you know they're only evil. There's something also about that that the work of God. Um, in celebrating Israel was faithless mm-hmm. and yet God was faithful, you know, and so there's a sense that God is doing his work in that there's still there's still good in people that God is working and going to bring out through his spirit. So that can help us see other people in, in the proper light as well. I think it's sad that, that we tend to think that Christians are the only ones who are carriers of good. Uh, you know, there's a yeah. common grace idea that yeah. we all reflect you know, the, the image of our creator. And inherently there are many, you know, many things that we, we tend to think what, you know, if we do benevolent, benevolent acts, that's because of Christ in us. And I think it's a lot of times more of a common grace, yeah. you know, and that, that I watch my neighbors. The do, image of God, right? Absolutely. Do yeah. very selfless acts um, that are, are acts of grace and kindness. So yeah, I think uh, it does us a disservice to try to think, you know, and, and we have to be full of compassion because yeah. the longer we walk with Christ, the more we see mm. some of those um, dual purposes in us, those yes. kind of fallen areas. And yes. so we, it really has to create It's a us. maturity thing. It really is. The older, As you grow in yeah, maturity, you have to have compassion for people because we're all in process. And uh, the older you get, the more patience you have. And also the other thing I love about those festivals and also... The prodigal son story is the posture of the father. What's his posture toward people who are a a mixture of bad or who are even like the the younger son just made horrible decisions one after the other, after the other, after the other, right? That's a really interesting idea because obviously, you know, the father, the the prodigal father in that is a representation of God. And 
to me, even I could see cynicism coming into me as a father and going resenting a son who, you know, totally. And, and that's a beautiful picture of father that he doesn't have any. He's a lavisher of good things. You know yeah. what I mean? It's his his um, his responses are never really reasonable. I mean, what how reasonable would it be to receive a son back like that? I mean, most we've no, always said this yeah. is not a good parenting model here. <laughs> this is not yes, a good parenting yes, yes. example. So, yeah, I, I think that's. Um, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Well, the other side of this is the, and this is really fascinating to me. The idea of joy being like this revolutionary act of like um, kind of rebellion against mm. a cynical world. Mm. That this is actually one of the ways that we bring the good news, the hope, because joy and hope are so linked yeah. into the world. If we're joyful, somehow, if we can get past cynicism. Somehow we bring that antibodies of hope to quote Tyson, or yep. we bring it's like a, everyone wants to be a rebel, everyone wants to be resist. You know, there's that resist, you know, there's that, you know, every when you're young and it's like rage against the machine. Right. I don't even know what machine I'm raging against, <laughs> but I want to rage against it. There's a sense in which I'm dating myself with that reference, but anyway, there's that point, there's that sense in which I want to be a revolutionary, I want to, I want to mix things up, and one of the best ways to do that is to be a purveyor of joy in a cynical world. So what are some ways that you, like, there's been times, there has been times when cynicism got its hooks in you and you began to lose your hope and your joy quotient went way down. Like, how do you get out of that? Like, what's a practical way pastorally? If somebody comes to you and they're just filled with like, and this is bad and this is bad and you're bad and the church is bad and the culture is bad and the politics are bad and the world is bad and the earth is bad and the universe is bad. Like they're, they're enmeshed in that. How do you help people like get out of that? Yeah. Um, pausing just to, to think a little bit because it's it's got some layers to it, I think, as a question. You, uh, you know, um, I think one of the great gifts we can give, number one, when I think pastorally of something is listening to somebody and seeing, letting them kind of <clears throat> pour out some of those things that are bubbling inside of them and let them have voice, mm. let them have kind of occupy the air. But then <clears throat> I think the idea of causing people to remember, uh, you know, you look mm. at how many times scripture says, mm. remember, remember. And I, one of the things I love about the Psalms and the invitation of the Psalms is really raw harsh language but then i love those moments where the psalmist goes but then i remember but i recall back to mine and therefore i have hope and i think um so it's a model pouring out the honest harshness of how you feel but then taking those thoughts captive and remembering purposely yeah. purposely going in your mind and remember and i think you know we can provide this for each other a lot of times <clears throat> a lot of times we want to solve somebody's thing or, or kind of quickly move them away from something and i think a lot of times people need the opportunity you know it's good for us to look for those places where we can pour out some of the ugliness of our lives yeah and that's the psalmist model for us helps us do that but then the opportunity to go yeah but i remember some of god's goodnesses and i really do think um, I, for myself, when I get back in touch with God's goodnesses yeah. and, and the ways that they're showing up in my life, it really does bring some perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about simple celebrations, you know, remembering like a great piece of pizza or, mm. you know, Sabbaths that cause us to, to pause, eat, you know, uh, and remember it and just a, a taste of some of the things that because I believe God's goodnesses are lavished, that they're, yeah. you know, they're abundant in our lives. And I think what's happened is we train ourselves just to focus in 
on those incongruent parts of life that yeah. we can't make sense of. Yeah. And then they just swallow us up. They yeah. just swallow us yeah. up. And so I think, um, yeah, you're, I think the language you gave is so great. Defiant. It's a defiant act to really pull ourselves out of that and go, wait a minute. I give voice to it. The things that frustrate me, the things I don't understand, the things I'm having a hard time reconciling. It's truth for suffering. Sure. I mean, that's, and that's kind of, sure. as I've experienced some of that in my own life, you know, giving yeah. voice to it like yeah. the psalmist does, but yeah. then recalling, to, you know, the, the real hope that we have. And I think what's cool, you know, even at a neurobiological level, when you talk about retraining the plasticity of your brain, mm-hmm. you know, you can retrain. And, and what, what I think, um, well, what I quoted was that Jonathan Grant quote where he says, you can strengthen those joy centers of your life. Yeah. And I think by the, if there's a way we can ingrain those as habits for us, yeah. then they become instinctual, that they become yeah. go-tos for us, that we don't wallow. We don't just wallow in that, the yeah. frustration that we feel yeah. Um, yeah. as we look at, uh, and, and the cynicism uh, that raises in our own yeah. minds and hearts. So one of the things I was thinking about that has helped has helped me is one of the things you see rehearsed, and I'm going to go Old Testament for a second. In the Old Testament, there's this, there's this pronouncement again and again that we can know God um, by his actions, and he's presented in certain ways. And I just made a list, and God is portrayed as a God who carries his children. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that, that infuses me with, with hope, you know? God is a God who, as a father in action, who grows and teaches his children. Mm-hmm. And so he, he won't stop the good work that he has begun in us, right? All of a sudden, do you see what I'm saying? I'm reframing. Mm. And these are constantly reframed by Moses, by the prophets, you know. God is a God who has compassion on his children. So he does not lose patience with them, Mm. though he could. But he does not expect them to be fully grown adults when they are children. Mm, That's beautiful. And so I'm like, man, that's to the patience of that. And then, of course, God is a God who adopts fatherless children. That when earthly Mm. parents fail that he swoops in to play that role. Just even looking at those four, mm-hmm. and, and they're all in Deuteronomy. I love that. They're, yeah, really they're all in Deuteronomy. There's a couple Psalms, and, and, and of course Exodus um, 34, which talks about God's compassion. But they're almost all in Deuteronomy as Moses is training and teaching the people to reframe their thinking because mm-hmm. they've been enslaved. And they, they must have believed that God is absent, that he's not, he's maybe he doesn't even hear, and then of course God shows up, delivers them, so he's obviously a God in action there. But it's not just that he rescued them. I mean, his patience with them and his love for them is, is much bigger than simple deliverance. It's, well, it, it, it's not, of course it's deliverance. Of course it's deliverance. It's not just deliverance. It's all these other aspects. And so for me, just really reflecting like on Deuteronomy, I was like, man, God is so ever present as this active father mm. And it's such a remembering, and it's so easy to forget. You think that God doesn't carry me, that I'm all on my own, that God doesn't teach or grow me, that you know He's left me and that I'm stuck here in my own mire, mm. or that God doesn't have compassion, that He's angry or disappointed, and that God doesn't adopt fatherless children, that uh, I'm an orphan in, mm-hmm. in, in a cruel world. That's what begins to, uh, I think, destroy our hope centers. And But the opposite of that, if you think about each of those, I, for me, it really begins to infuse joy because hmm. hmm. I remember, I remember yeah. to your point, yeah. I remember. Yeah, this is why Moses begins to, to keep saying this stuff because remembering is so central 
to like remembering our identity and who God is and, and what he's at in the world. Well, and what I love, yeah, that, that's an interesting uh, framing of it. I love that idea of reframing some of the stuff and, and kind of recalling back to mind um, to help with that reframing. You know, uh, you've probably heard the story too of, you know, how they train elephants. No. Yeah, I, I don't know much about training elephants, Mark. <laughs> I... Well, from my past as a circus <laughs> employee. <laughs> no, but this idea that, that um, I haven't thought about it for a while, but basically... Um, they they uh, uh, they they put a stake in the ground, uh-huh. and so it, it chains the elephant and can't move and stuff like that. And it trains the elephant that it's it's um, it's bound. Okay. And eventually they can get rid of the stake, and all the elephant remembers is it's bound, and so it doesn't it doesn't wander and stuff like that. So so you're telling me in the circus there's a whole bunch of unchained <laughs> wandering elephants, elephants in the tent, <laughs> but they don't wander. <laughs> That's right. They just stay there. They, they somehow, and I think. Uh, I love the patience of God as he redeemed his people from Israel, you know, from Egypt. Oh, wow. There was that remembering, oh, we used to be slaves. Yeah, and they, they kept defaulting back so to So you're that. saying cynicism is actually a chained mindset. That's what I wonder. Yeah, No, I, no, I, I, to- I think that's totally true. It I becomes totally a, a, true. A, a, almost like the, if we can develop habits the other way, yeah. it, it can be a habit for us where we go, we, that's our go-to. And that's mm-hmm. our bondage, you know, yeah. that we kind of go back to that. And I think to your point, I, I love that idea of... of kind of rehearsing some of the, the beautiful movements of God and the beautiful ways, Lisa and I were even talking, even this morning, of, of the teeth of the covenantial relationship of God. Mm. The, just uh, teeth meaning it's, it's got it's got great binding capacity. It's like, I'm so with you. I like that whole, you're diving into Abraham now. You know, that yeah. idea that he walks between, he goes, I, this is what would happen. To, I'm the one who's going to, would be willing to. I'll take this covenant. Exactly. I'll take exactly. this covenant on. Yeah. 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 And I just love that idea of how, how hardy that is. And when I think when mm. we think about that, and also just God's patience, knowing that yeah. we, we remember mostly our bondage. Yeah. That we want to go back to the bondage yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. God kind of... In let's, let's end on a practical note. There are no. folks who say, Mark, oh man, if I'm honest with myself, I've been a little darker than I should be. This past season has been hard. Um, I'm, I'm isolated. I'm, I'm feeling pretty cynical, if I'm honest. Sure. It's, uh, you're talking about hope. Like, I don't see a whole lot of hope around me. Like, what's your word for, for those folks who are, who are stuck in that, who, who fail? Like, I, I want this. I want what you say, but, like, like what are some practical things that, that um, what's, what's your word to them pastorally? Yeah, I mean, I, I think start with the simple. Mm-hmm. Just start with simple. Where is Where are the goodnesses of God showing up? For you? Mm. Like, for, for you, mm. as you even kind of think about just your own, you know, Got yeah. vacation on the horizon for yeah. you, and you've had a few, you know, yeah. had a little bit of yeah. it, you know, and at those moments to pause. And I know for a lot of our, our, our community here, they're looking forward to time away. Well, as opposed to just enjoy that, how can you connect it to that, the speci- mm. specificity of mm-hmm. God's goodness to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm, I'm a big fan of pizza. At least I was just saying the other day, I was like, I want to. This is the second time you brought up pizza. I, this, I'm a little, now I'm a little, now I'm hungry. It's frequently on my mind. It's frequently <laughs> on my mind. We were just saying, hey, Friday night, let's just, let's go get a really good pizza. Do you have a favorite pizza place, Mark? Poxy's is pretty good. I uh, like the yeah. Chicago stuff. Oh, so yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, of, the, yeah, that's in uh, the Burn Yard. Yeah. Yes. P-A-T-X-I. I don't think it has a T. I think it's just P-I. No, it's P A T X I. Listen, you might know about pizza. I'm going I... straight for the pepperoni. I'm not looking at the title <laughs> no, of the It's unbelievable. The restaurant. It's such great pizza. It it's, really it's really great pizza. It's really yeah. good. But, you know, pausing to go, how, this is one of the attentive ways that God is pouring goodness mm-hmm. into my life. And, yeah. you know, for me, taste is big. Mm-hmm. Um, immersing in creation. Yeah. I, I would really start with the simple things. And opposed to just, 
you know, now doors are open, restaurants are open, travel is open, as opposed to just gorge on those things. Is there a way where you can kind of do inventory, mm. where you can go, this is attentive, this is God's attention to me because I love this. You know, Lisa and I, one of the things I shared was, um, you know, Lisa and I went to the Van Gogh exhibit up in New York. It's or unbelievable. Have you been? No. Well, we saw it when it first opened. We went. To, we saw it in France. Oh, that's and, the one. And that's it, the premiere. It was in an abandoned mine, and they transformed it into this exhibit. With yeah. and it was awe-inspiring. Yeah. It was. It's just. Yeah. yeah, so you saw the okay. Yeah. That's the that's it's the, the premiere one. The San Francisco one. It's like our auditorium. All four walls have moving video images. Yeah. And I remember we just drove up there. You're only up there for well, we sat for an hour basically, and you just take in the audio of you know a Bach cello concerto or Radiohead. I mean, they have all different stuff going on, and you just get to see this creative beauty just kind of emerge yeah. emerge in front of you. Yeah. And I remember literally being drawn to tears, just yeah. feeling like ah. Oh, this is what I needed for my soul, yeah. God. I needed to stop to reflect. Yeah. And that, that is my personality. So some yeah. people find it through lots of activity. Sure. I find it through, you know, just embracing God's beauty. Yeah. So I guess that's what I would say is, is where around you right in this moment, yeah. even in the last hour, yeah. where have you tasted God's goodness? Yeah. I have yeah. a great conversation with a friend. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a cherished yeah, moment totally. for me. Yeah, totally. Even like you were talking about in the beginning, getting together with people is, yeah. is the thing. I think the more analog that we get out in nature, yeah. art, being with each other, and even the private disciplines of, you, you said remembering, like like writing down yeah, that's like, good. what taking inventories. That's that really good. Stuff. There's this moment, um, my daughter just had her second uh, shot for the vaccine, mm. and she got a fever, and she was not feeling good. And I'm home alone, and I've got all this stuff to do, right? And she's just like, Daddy, I don't feel good. And I just sat with her, gave her, you know, ibuprofen, got her, you know, all this stuff. And then I just, and then I got her Jamba juice. And then, you know, because she didn't feel good, we're doing all this stuff. And then um, I was a, a little irritated at first because Nicole's on this business trip and Justice is, and there's no one there. And I'm just there with her. And then I realized I'm not going to have this for much longer. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just not. I'm not going to be able to kiss her forehead and get her stuff. There's not going to be a little girl on my couch much uh, longer. Dude, you're killing me. <laughs> and yeah, and all of a sudden I started welling up like, like deep. I was like, the work will get done. I will, yeah. I'll get it done. I'm going to tend to this precious little girl who God has given me. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be, I mean, I'm not going to be taking care of her when she's 24. You know, no, probably she's probably no. going to be somewhere else. She's, yeah. I, or she might even be married at I don't want to talk about that, but the point is, <laughs> and at the end of the day, I'm tucking her in, and it's like, she's got her dog right there, and he's all taking care of her, and she's tucked in, and she, I'm praying for her, and she goes, Daddy, thank you for taking such good care of me. Oh, that's really sweet. And I'm like, yeah. uh, my day is good. My uh, That was the best day I've ever had. Like, and it just breaks me out of that. Everything is bad, and this is the, and the, and the tyranny of work, and the tyranny of now, to sit and reflect on the goodness, even in the weird, in, even in such a thing as like, she's yeah. not feeling great, but man, what no, a, what a dude, gift. That's really precious. Well, uh, last night, um, uh, our son called us our oldest. He just bought a, a new guitar and he was just like geeking and just exuberant <laughs> about this beautiful guitar he spent a lot of money on. And Lisa and I, it's 11 o'clock at night. We're laying in bed with the phone on. Wow, and that's just, so great. It's just so you, my point is we don't have a lot of those moments. So yeah. it, it, a lot of this can sound like stop and smell the roses. Here's the difference though. It's not just 
observing or taking in the goodness. It's connecting to a loving, lavish Father yes. who's bringing this into yes. your life. Yes, yes. It's relational. Yes. It's not transactional. Yes. It's yes. not, I've seen this, I've enjoyed it, and now I'm gonna, I, now I need to consume more. Yes. It's pausing to go, God's goodness. You take care of me. You're a good Father. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good stuff. Mark, thanks for, thanks for helping yeah, us destroy cynicism That's right. as an act of resistance. Silence it. Silence let's, it. Let's all be revolutionaries. An act of resistance to bring joy into a cynical world. I love it. All right. Well, thanks, Mark, and thanks, we'll see you next week. Well, everybody, I think that wraps it up. That's the end of our Joy Sermon Series. Just want to thank Mark Averill for coming on, for helping me destroy cynicism, and for, of course, making me very, very hungry for pizza. And I'm really excited about this. Next week, we start our brand new sermon series. It's called I'm Terrible with Names, The Titles of Jesus and Why They Matter. And in this one, we're going to go through the Bible, in the Gospels especially, and look at the names that Jesus is referred to. Each one reveals something important about who Jesus is and what he's about. Their insights into what he's doing. And as we examine these names, we're going to see that there are invitations for us to know Jesus for who he really is. And actually, there are invitations for us to join him in his work. I'm super excited about this series. And so we'll start diving into that next week. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us.